the Comedy Zone podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Now offering video visits so you can take control of your orthopedic care from the comfort of your home. Schedule online at orthocarolina.com. Ortho Carolina, you improved. The following is uh, an opinion piece from the New York Times, uh, June 4th. 2020. It's called uh, Call It What It Is, Anti-Blackness. When black people are killed by the police, racism isn't the right word. The word racism is everywhere. It's used to explain all the things that cause African-Americans suffering and death, inadequate access to health care, food, housing and jobs, or a police bullet, baton or knee. But racism fails to fully capture what black people in this country are facing. The right term is anti-blackness. To be clear, racism isn't a meaningless term, but it's a catch-all that can encapsulate anything from black people being denied fair access to mortgage loans to Asian students being burdened with a model minority label. It's not specific. Many Americans awakened by watching footage of Derek Chauvin Killing George Floyd by kneeling on his neck are grappling with why we live in a world in which black death loops in a tragic screenplay scored with the wails of childless mothers and the entitled indifference of our murderers. And an understanding of anti-blackness is the only place to start. Anti-blackness is one way some black scholars have articulated what it means to be marked as black in an anti-black world. It's more than just about, quote, Racism against black people, unquote, that oversimplifies and defangs it. It's a theoretical framework that illuminates society's inability to recognize our humanity, the disdain, disregard and disgust for our existence. The African-American studies professor Frank B. Wilderson, who coined the term Afro-pessimism, argues that anti-blackness indexes the structural reality so that in the larger society, blackness is inextricably tied to, quote, slaveness. While the, while the system of U.S. chattel slavery technically ended over 150 years ago, it continues to mark the ontological position of black people. Thus, in the minds of many, the relation between humanity and blackness is an antagonism, is irreconcilable. Anti-blackness describes the inability to recognize black humanity. It captures the reality that the kind of violence that saturates black life is not based on any specific thing a black person, better described as a person who has been racialized black, did. The violence we experience isn't tied to any particular transgression. It's gratuitous and unrelenting. Anti-blackness covers the fact that society's hatred of blackness and also its gratuitous violence against black people is complicated by its need for our existence. For example, for white people, again, Better described as those who have been racialized white, the abject inhumanity of the black reinforces their whiteness, their humanness, their power and the privilege. Whether they're aware of it or not, black people are at once despised and also a useful counterpoint for others to measure their their humanness against. In other words, while one may experience numerous compounding advantages, hey, at least they're not black. So when we're trying to understand how a white police officer could calmly and casually channel with the weight of his entire body through his knee on a black man's neck, a man who begged for his life for eight full minutes until he had no air left with which to plead. 
We have to understand that there has never been a moment in this country's history where this kind of treatment has not been the reality for black people. From whips to guns, the slave patrols of the 18th century are the ancestors of modern day police departments. Mr. Floyd's killer just happened to make the news, happened to have video footage documenting his desperate screams to his deceased mother for help from the other side. Mr. Floyd's brutal killing is not an exception, but rather it is a rule in a nation that literally made black people into things. Black people were rendered as property, built this country, spilled literal blood, sweat and tears into the soil from which we eat, the water we drink and the air we breathe. The thingification of black people is a fundamental component of the identity of this nation. Reckoning with this reality is significantly more difficult than wrestling with prejudice, racism, and even institutional or structural racism. And it does more than any of these concepts do to help us make sense of over 400 years of black suffering, of our unremitting, interminable pain, rage, and exhaustion. It is exhausting. Mr. Floyd's death is the story of our babies, of the numerous black children who grew up literally or metaphorically under the steel heel of a police boot. It is the story of our families who, since the middle passage, have had to suffer the imaginable. But when they kill our children, our mothers and fathers, we are expected to forgive, to be peaceful in the face of horrific violence. We are asked to respect a law that cannot recognize our humanity, that cannot provide redress. And when time and time again, the law demonstrates it will never protect us, that it will never hold those individuals and systems that harm us accountable. We are expected to peddle a narrative that the system works, that justice will prevail. Mr. Floyd's brother lamented, quote, I just don't understand what more we've got to go through in this life, man. Quote, unquote. People are in the streets today because years ago we marched peacefully and belted Negro spirituals, hoping they would recognize our humanity. We wore Afros like crowns, remembering our beauty. We put our fist in the air, demonstrating our strength. We declared that our lives matter in every gorgeous dimension, demanding they stop killing us in the street and in our homes with impunity. People are in the streets today because despite all of the people who have lost their lives, literally and figuratively, in this fight for black life, the struggle continues. So let's stop saying racism killed George Floyd, or worse yet, that a racist police officer killed George Floyd. George Floyd was killed because anti-blackness is endemic to and is central to how all of us make sense of the social, economic, historical, and cultural dimensions of human life. Um, that piece was by, uh, Kiana Mariah Ross, who is an assistant professor of African American studies at Northwestern university. The publication is the New York times. Uh, again, the title <clears throat> is call it what it is. Anti-blackness. Um, this was posted on June 4th, 2020. And if you want to read it for yourselves, you can find it, uh, at New York times. Dot com. We'll be back. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
All right, welcome back to the Comedy Zone podcast. Uh, we got my partner in crime here, <laughs> Mr. Jason Allen King, mm-hmm. uh, is here. He was uh, uh, listening in on that that first segment there, and uh, just wanted to get your reaction to to what we heard in the first segment to the piece I read. Uh, I mean, I got to be honest, man. It's uh, that that kind of language is it's hard to hear. It's really hard to hear. It's uh, there's a lot of pain in in that. And there's uh, you know, it's just it's hard to hear you read it. Uh, it's very powerful, and it you know, um, I can't imagine. I'm hearing it from my point of view. I can't imagine reading it from your point of view. Um, the the idea that racism doesn't encompass racism as something we know that's you know is is the worst thing. It's the, it is this awful thing that that exists, and it doesn't. It's not bad enough, you know that, that there's more to it. And I, I've not heard this before. I re, I read the article, but I, the term this term anti blackness and and uh, just you know. I don't. I don't know. Just, just processing it is, uh, yeah. It's it's heartbreak, man. Uh, I I think, I I think that's the word uh, for it, man. And it. I think that it's easy. It's easy to 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 pretend this stuff isn't happening, and it because it feels better to to not have to to go in and dig in. I mean, who wants to sit and think about how many people don't think they're worthy of respect or, or that a person's humanity doesn't cascade out to them. Uh, I, I I just, I mean, when you see things like that, when you see that, that video, uh, that is a, that officer murderer, I should not call him an officer at all. That murderer, um, hands in his, you know, pockets, guys, hands in their pockets. I mean, Chappelle laid it out. We'll get into the 846 special, of yeah. course. But I mean, just casually, man, just suffocated um, the life out of this man. And it it isn't just George Floyd. And that that's the problem with some of the discussions we have. You know, people want to go over, over the top about their criticism of this police officer. Man, that's low-hanging fruit. Um. You know, I, I talk to people and and it's like, oh, well, you know, we always have bad apples, you know, this is it, which is just a way of saying there's no systemic problem. Uh, right. So when the when when a person hyper focuses on George Floyd, uh, it it isn't as useful as as understanding that that is just a byproduct of something much larger and it doesn't serve anybody in any real way to to just look at it as as one instance uh this is a problem endemic to law enforcement and it's a problem endemic to this country the the anti-blackness penetrates everything i mean people you know talk about white supremacy and all these things but specifically anti-blackness penetrates uh everything from i mean we talked about chattel slavery to health care to Law enforcement to, uh, I mean, you Hollywood to to I mean, you name an institution in America, and it is affected by this. And I think what you're seeing is that people are tired of it. People people have been tired of it. 
I mean, I, I, I also I, think, well, if, if I may, yeah, please, please, there's something very easy about saying, well, it's racism. Well, it's white supremacists finding that that easy villain to say it's their fault. Right. They did this as opposed to, you know, myself and and, and you know, my friends, my family having to, you know, think hard about the things that are in there, you know. How much of this do do I am I am I doing subconsciously? I certainly hope you know, like the the things that they're talking about. Why are the is it is it every day and not just w- w- the guy who's got the knee, you know the knee in the neck? Which I think that's what this is saying. Um, it's it's hard to have have that mirror put up to 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 your face, and I think that's what's happening around the country right now to some degree. I think some people are 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 kind of coming to terms with with somewhat of this idea that it's it's my fault too it's um yeah i mean mean, these are these are our decisions and tax dollars and i mean every time that you know I, i i understand exactly what you're saying man like you everybody has to kind of shine a a lens on on themselves and and what are we doing you know how are we doing it but you know this situation where you know and the, and, and black mothers uh black fathers like myself man like people aren't making this stuff up when they say they have to have a different conversation with their children yeah then then my white friends man i've listened to my white friends i remember one time man my one of my buddies was talking about him and his family went to some restaurant and we're having a food fight and everything, and everybody had a big laugh. I'm like, do you know how quickly to <laughs> do you know how quickly yeah. that would go south for me if me and my family decided to have a food fight in a restaurant here? Like, it's just different, and that's yeah. part, and that, and that's what part of what sucks about it all is that I just don't think I, I don't think people see it. I, I, I don't. I just. I, I don't. I, I think. I think people are seeing it. More though, and there, and there are some things, you know, like the coalitions we've seen out in the streets. Some of the other things that suggest that at the very least, people are paying a little more attention. Uh, I saw a poll in the Washington Post, I think it was, that said that some a few years ago, forty some percent of folks were, and I apologize for not having the exact numbers, but forty some percent of folks uh, looked at police killings as individual sort of instances where now about 70% of people look at the killing of George Floyd as part of a much larger systemic problem. So I think people are seeing past, oh, I'd knock, I'd, because people say, oh, well, you know, there's a few bad apples. I mean, cops are good, but that guy that did that to Floyd, I would, I would burn him up alive. That's what I would do. It's like, well, you know, that doesn't help anyone. That, that's the easiest thing in the world. Rush Limbaugh said this was wrong. That, that this is not. Yeah, that's like, right. Like what? Yeah, like it, it's almost like. See, I I like black people. I think this was bad. <laughs> like if yeah. like if you told Jewish folks, like uh, you know, uh, I love Jews, man. I think Hitler was a bad guy too. It's like yeah. it's not really. You're not going out on a limb there, dude. And, you know, it's, there's just so much that's happening, man. There's so many ways that people try to move the ball, uh, you know, the all lives matter stuff and the blue lives matter stuff. And it's, it's just, like, just say you don't like black people, you know, so people like me can know who to avoid. Because, to be honest, understanding racism, like that's the other thing about this, man, I, I uh 
I don't get into these social media debates. And I want to. Sometimes, man, to be honest with you, I type stuff up and don't send it. <laughs> yeah. Because I, get, I just get so angry that people, they, they just look at all the wrong things. Like I saw one guy, I won't, I won't name him and, and, you know, anything, but I saw one guy on there talking about uh, the, the situation with, um, uh, goodness, uh, the, the brother down at the Wendy's. Uh, goodness. There's so Rayshard many, Brooks. Yeah, Rayshard Brooks. There's so many names. Uh, Rayshard Brooks. And he's looking at that. And he's going, uh, well, you know, I mean, come on, man, you you tussle around with the cops and you do this and and you grab the taser and you point it and all that. I mean, it, you know, where else in the world would you not get shot for that? And that's really lazy, uh, lazy analysis. The question is never and take this from an attorney. The question in these instances is never like one in a vacuum, like, okay, well, look at what he did here. The question is, would a similarly situated white man or woman be dealt with the same way? Because a law that only applies to where the penalty is death on this side and the penalty is okay, don't do that again on the other side, is no law at all. Laws are supposed to apply to all the people. That's what the hell a law is. So when you talk about, well, he shouldn't have done this and that's what happens when you fight a cop. Well, show me all the videos of white people being gunned down for tussling with the police. Because what I can promise you is they tussle with them a whole hell of a lot. I've been in courts. I've seen them. I used to interview people at the bail interviewer spot in Philly. Every time an arrest was made in the city of Philadelphia, I had to interview those folks. My department did that. Every Monday morning, we had flocks of white people from the Eagles games that got drunk and fought cops. Nobody was shot. Nobody. But we see video after video after video of black men being shot for the same thing. People, you have to understand what you're seeing. And if you want to sit and go, well, we just, they just don't talk about when it happens to white people and all that. Don't you think Fox News would be running that on a loop if it existed? Like, that's the frustrating part is that people get so uh, dumb when it comes to race. They can be smart in so many other respects. And you start talking race and they just say, start saying stupid shit like he should have complied. And it's maddening, which is what Chappelle uh, was was speaking to in his uh, special. Yeah. And uh, I want to say one last thing before we dip into that. Um, One of the things I found to be, man, so troubling and disappointing none none of these words sort of quite live up to what i'm thinking but the fact that rayshard brooks was shot and killed in the middle of everything that's going on shows that that the change that i think everyone is starting to feel a shift is i think is is a little pie in the sky right now things need to happen that cop made that decision in the middle of all what's going on, in the middle of, of these protests all over the country and all over the world, and he still shot that man and killed him. That that wasn't on his mind, that this what that all of this that's going on, I mean, how do I know that guy wasn't part of the, the group against the protesters? Like mm. that to me is is uh, such a glaring indication that that it is it is in there it's in them it's in this it's in the system to treat black men differently you know i, I just I, I i it was 
couldn't understand. And even now in this moment that that cop made that decision, regardless of how quickly or whatever, doesn't matter. That was the, that was the go-to decision in that moment. It didn't, nothing about that felt, felt right. There was no, uh, I don't know. I just, it, I it, found that really troubling. It, it is, the world feels different. It just, it, it, I feel like this George Floyd murder, it reminds me of some of the public, that just the lynchings we've seen in the past. And people use lynchings and think it only means ropes from trees, which by the way, we've seen five black people in the past week hung from trees and they called them all suicides. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been sort of keeping, keeping an eye on keeping that. A real eye. Three as of a couple of days ago. And I, I didn't know there was two more. Maybe I missed those. Yeah. But that is, that's scary, man. Yeah. And it's, it, I, I mean, I don't, it, it, it it's, um, it, it's hard to, it's, it's just hard to, hard to find words, but I do think that we're at a point where, I mean, this stuff is out there and these things are like, these things are like roaches. Like for every one you see, there's a hundred you don't see these, these, uh, these ledgers and these, 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 um, you know, the books are full of these sorts of instances. And every time you see one person murdered in that way, you know, there's, there's one that you saw that you didn't see. There's a bunch that you haven't seen. Yeah. And we're not just talking about murders, man. We're talking about broken arms, busted up faces. Uh, you know, I mean, the kid, Freddie Gray's spine was severed, you know, handcuffed in the back of a police van. I mean, these people, like they said in the piece, man, people begging for their lives. But when you don't see someone else as human, none of that matters. It's like a bug to you. Right. And how could you see? Another man pleading for his life and see nothing but a bug. It's just a level of evil I can't wrap my brain around. It's so up, and and there's a there's a mother. You know, I mean, it's just so many instances in history where you just you have these points where the nation is kind of shocked by something. I mean, we saw it with the death of goodness, uh, Medgar Evers. We saw it with the death of. Martin Luther King, the death of Emmett Till, the 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 death of now George Floyd. I mean, there's 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 just been so many and so many and and women, Breonna Taylor, Sandra Bland. It's not a black male problem. This is a black problem, and I guess we can start to transition in Dave into Dave Chappelle's special. First thing I'll say is, I thought it was excellent. I thought it was incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. I mean, this, this thing felt like I was looking at James Baldwin. Um, and if whoever's listening, if you're not familiar with James Baldwin, go look him up. I mean, one of our greatest writers this country's ever produced and greatest thinkers on race this country's ever produced. Um, just and the, and the rage, the rage, I think James Baldwin said something like to be conscious of what is actually happening, to be conscious and aware is to be constantly enraged. And and that's what you saw from Chappelle is just this this rage. And I think comedy has two jobs, right? Comedy, I think one job is to point out sort of life's absurdities. Uh, I think the indiscriminate killing of black people is pretty fucking absurd. Second, the job of a comedian is to be interesting. 
It's not just to make people laugh their asses off because you could walk up and tickle them and make them laugh. That's not comedy. Right. It's to be interesting. And I saw that special and I thought, man, this guy's pointing out something pretty damn absurd. And I was transfixed. I was I was all in, man. I, I just the passion. Yeah. It was real. It was authentic. Something about uh, Chappelle that he. It's it's sort of like uh, and I don't say this uh, lightly, it's sort of like Obama uh, being painfully aware of of a, of being in a historical moment and, and living up to that moment. Big time. We're going to look at that 846. We're going to look at that for the rest of our lives. We're going to talk about it. We're going to refer to it. Um, that's what we saw. We That was significant. The weight that was in that place, and I know it was partially you know, inside and outside and, and people with masks on. That, mo- it's just, that, that moment sort of is among thousands of other moments over the last several weeks. He... He captured that. He he understood the historical significance of what's going on, and I thought his, like you said, his rage and his tone and and what he said and his, even the fact that he was he knew I think that this wasn't necessarily going to be a a funny comedy special, even though there were laughs in it. Like you said, I think it was more about pointing out the absurdity and. And making it a poignant moment, he did that for sure. And, and the authenticity—I mean, yeah. you could tell that this this man felt what he was saying in his bones, and you could see it. And black people just watching that man. Um, and I and I still get upset when I think about it. Um, it <clears throat> it, it it's. It's powerful and it's heavy. And I think a lot of people would agree that Dave Chappelle is sort of the the voice of a comedic generation. I mean, he's the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. Uh, Just like Pryor was the guy. Carlin was the guy. Lenny Bruce was the guy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you you just have these figures and Dave Chappelle uh, for this generation is is the guy. And I just thank God that the guy right now was saying that because yeah. I think that Dave should like, I look, man, I, <laughs> I did a, uh, I did a show after Trayvon Martin, who I did. Oh my God. After Trayvon Martin was, was killed. Um, I did a set and, um, I just talked about, police brutality. I didn't talk about police brutality. I talked about uh, just, just, I didn't call it anti-blackness, but just, uh, just the brutality with which we, we treat black folks and how you could look at a kid. I mean, he was a kid, man. And people are talking about him like he was 30 years old. You know, he's just a kid going home. Some guys chasing him just like Ahmaud Arbery. Guys chasing him. He doesn't know what to do. Whoops the guy's ass like Chappelle said, and the guy kills him, man. Like, that could have been my son. Come on. Like, come anyone would have anyone would have defended themselves in that position. Oh, but the difference was, is is exactly what you're saying. Anti-blackness. And it 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 racism 
you know, anti it kills, it, it kills, man. I mean, if you really dig into the history, it 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 just it 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 it, it that is what it is. So I thought that 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 Chappelle captured it all. And I mean, you're just for every argument that people make, there's another situation. Well, if he would have just done what the police said, or and then they show they show that they had a video of five black teenagers. They had cut through somebody's grass and the cops got a gun on them. Yeah. Cutting through some grass. Stuff we all do. I, I saw a bunch of kids were were playing and doing like shadow boxing and stuff. And and there was, you know, four or five kids or fifteen, this woman's recording the cop with his gun out. Jesus. No one would have ever done that to me. I would have ne that would have never even occurred to a cop to do that to me and my friends. Wouldn't you wouldn't even it it, like that it feels like another world or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I'm mildly embarrassed to say this, not that we would. I mean, my, my wrestling coach was the chief of police in my town. Man, I, one, I didn't want to get in trouble because of that, but also could I have really gotten in trouble because of that? He was my parents' friend. Like, that just wouldn't have happened, man. It just would not have uh, how many pounds is that the case too you know and that's the, the, you know that's the thing we're not just talking about murders people say well you know there were 10 murders in the past whatever i mean it's not a huge number number one one is this is too many way too many but two it doesn't account for all the all the broken arms all the you know all the Ruptured spleens, all the broken jaws, all the Amadou Diallo's, or or the. It, Man, how about just the discomfort that I see, that I hear in your voice? How about just the that fear, that anxiety? I hear that in in my friends' voices now, and it's hard. It's hard to hear, man. It really, really is. Yeah, it's uh, it it um. Hmm. Um, I, I, I think that this is a moment, man. And, and I should not have said, uh, Amadou Diallo, Amadou, Amadou Diallo was shot by the police. And I think they thought he, he was pulling out his wallet and they thought, said they thought it was a gun, but Abner Louima is who I'm talking about. He wasn't killed, but he was up in New York and cops, uh, took him to the station and sodomized him. Oh my God. Stuck a, uh, you should, you should read the case, man. They stuck a, uh, I think a broomstick, uh, in his rectum. Um, that's, that's that's the that's the kind of thing that's it, that's treating them that's less than human than what that, less than that's no respect for life that's no respect for that's literally taking respect of, away from that man that he made him experience that yeah so so this problem and that's why I wanted to read that piece because one of the first things that you do anytime you're solving a problem is you have to get a full accounting of the scope of the problem. And if the scope of your problem is, well, we got a few bad cops, then you're limit. It's just a limited solution. Like there's no real solution to that. We have to look at where this comes from. And what that article laid out is since black folks were brought over here in the transatlantic transatlantic slave trade, and this race concept was developed to make sure that the black day or the white day laborers who were working in the same fields as the slaves but the, these laborers uh were paid some little bit they weren't slaves but the black folks were and plantation owners were concerned that those folks would get together 
and overtake the the plantation owner and take over the plantation. So what did they do? They needed he needed they needed to create division. So they developed what amounted to a caste system and said, well, these people are black and you guys are white. And then all of a sudden the white you and you guys are white like us. So you're better than them. And then that better than them thing echoed throughout centuries. So now a white person can be poor, broke, undereducated, all of that shit, but they're still white. They're still white. And that is all that whiteness functions to do. It is a, an exclusionary term. The only reason there's a white is to keep others out. That's the only reason we have it. There's white and then there's black. Even with like, I mean, everything is centered around that whiteness. When we use the term diversity, the diverse from what? Yeah. What are we different from? Oh, the standard white. I mean, every, every, the, just the way that we, just the way that we, you know, that we look at these things. I would have never, never thought that. I would have never, that whole concept of what you're talking about right now is not something that I've ever heard before. And it's like, earth shattering i'm never you, that you're right that standard it's it's wow yeah it's, it's the standard and it's and it's frustrating because it's like for me like this is stuff like you you end up arguing like people you'll end up arguing with like a guy in a pickup truck on facebook and it's like this is stuff i have to understand to breathe another day I know what I can and can't say to police, dude. And I think I've told this story on the podcast. I was in, uh, when I was in law school in DC, me and some of my fraternity brothers were out in some field goofing off, whatever, uh, dark late at night and a bunch of police cruisers come pulling up. They didn't ask us any questions. They didn't say, Hey guys, what's going on here? They got out and they drew their guns. And they told us, they told us all to get on the ground. And, uh, the officer had his gun up to my head and said, if you, something like, if you move, I'll blow your brains out or don't, don't move. I'm going to shoot or something with shoot in it with the gun in my head. I just like, it was such a blur dude, because the problem was my silly ass. I had on slacks and a like a, a banana republic. So, so that whole how you look thing. Oh, if you just dress nicer, I had on slacks, <laughs> nice shoes and a, uh, a sweater from banana republic. I'll never forget black. So I love that sweater. And the cops said, get on the ground. And I got on all fours cause I didn't want to get my shirt dirty. Cause I still wanted to go out. And that's when he put the gun to my head. And if you don't get on the ground, I'm going to shoot you in the head. And what, so that those experiences, like they don't go anywhere. This is not about just people being killed. This is about just the brutality with which we treat people. You are traumatized. I mean, that was traumatized. You're traumatizing a generation of children, another generation of children. I mean, think about all, I mean, th and, and think about when you say things like, because I'm going to address a few of these things that I see, because this is the place to do it, man. I just don't have it in me to type all day with people. But one of the things I see is, you know, people. <clears throat> Mm. People say there's so many things I want to say, man. It's like it all comes flooding in. But um, 
we we see back and forth on on Facebook about these things, and oh, if they would just comply. And like I said, it's all about whether someone similarly situated white should like the standard shouldn't be, you know, if you if you make one false move, you're dead. Like that's what it was for me. Like that. Why am I in that position? They didn't even talk to us, man. And then finally, here's the only thing that saved us, dude. We were out in that field and one of the police officers happened to be in the fraternity I'm in, a, a black man that was one of the officers. And he said, oh, hold on, I know what these guys are doing. Y'all y'all put your guns down. That's when it stopped. But until then, I mean, I don't even know if I'd be here to talk to you. So this is like when you go back and forth with these people on Facebook, like I've lived this stuff I'm talking about. Like, I know what I'm talking about, man. I've worked in law. I mean, I don't get into all this stuff on the podcast, but I worked in the Philly warrant unit, man. I've worked in law enforcement, man. I've helped make arrests. I know what cops are up against. I remember before I got hired in the Philadelphia warrant unit department, uh, one of our officers was serving a warrant. They had a group of them, man, serving a warrant. And they go up to the house, knock on the door. Girlfriend comes to the door. Girlfriend starts talking to the cops. She's stalling them. Her boyfriend is upstairs with a pistol, semi-automatic weapon. Uh, while the cop is standing there going back and forth with the girlfriend, the guys at the top points out, I don't know whether it's the window or over the stairs, uh, points and uh, shoots one of the officers in the head and kills him. That was a week before I got there. Uh, uh, so nobody is sitting here saying that, that, <laughs> that this shit isn't scary. You go on a ride along and see what cops deal with. The shit is scary. Scary. But at the same time, it should be just as scary when the guy standing there is, is white as it is when the guy standing there is black. And that is the issue that we're having is that it's just too disproportionate. I remember, you know, the Supreme Court at one time, they, they, they enacted a moratorium on capital punishment because the numbers were so staggeringly disproportionate. So it's like this. We, we've seen this theme over and over again, just how black life is devalued. Look at the, and, and we have to teach our kids this stuff, man. Part of this is education. And, uh, you know, matter of fact, man, you know, what we should do. Let's take a break here, man. And then we'll turn the page and just kind of talk solutions and where we can go from here. Soreness and pain isn't always the result of activity. This is a 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina. Prolonged sitting in a car or at your job aggravates muscles and joints and can cause pain. A standing desk can help. The key to alleviating the discomfort that sitting can cause is changing positions more frequently during the day. Alternating between sitting and standing at your desk, in addition to taking walk breaks and stretching, can work to loosen those tight muscles and joints. The perfect standing desk should be high enough so your computer keyboard is at elbow level and your monitor at face level to avoid neck strain. Before you start standing at your desk, take into consideration any knee or foot injuries and wear flat, comfortable shoes. This has been your 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. Welcome back. Uh, still continuing 
our discussion about anti-blackness here on the Comedy Zone podcast. Uh, myself, Jason Allen King, finishing up here on the third segment. Uh, wh- what we were kind of talking about a little bit over the break, man, uh, is where do we go from here, right? Uh, um, yeah. We could detail the problems uh, forever, uh, but where do we go from here? The first thing is is to listen, to to listen. I think people are so busy feeling attacked when we talk about these issues. Um, first of all, this isn't any about any one person. So anybody that you have these discussions and it's like, well, not all white people, you know, it's just this block goes up and people feel attacked because white folks don't like being called racist. Uh, but usually the people that like really aren't like yourself or Brian or, you know, every interaction I've had with you guys tells me that, um, you don't get offended by that. You know, like when a woman comes up to me and goes, oh, my God, men are trash. I know she ain't talking about me. She don't know me. <laughs> I don't go, well, not all men. Like, this is the kind of this is the kind of bullshit people do. You know, you cannot. You just don't throw the don't throw the blockers up. You know, don't 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 throw the 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 blockers up. Uh, you have to have these conversations and listen. And to be honest, man, black people are so frustrated with being ignored and not heard that the very first thing you can do is listen. Just be quiet and listen. You know, just like Jason, if you were telling me about issues you face relative to something I've never experienced, my job is to first sit and listen. And I think people are slowly getting around to doing that. Uh which is a a critical piece. And I don't think I don't think white folks understand uh, how much race works against us all. This concept Uh, is not about being colorblind. It's about respecting each other's differences. The colorblind society. I forget one comedian said, well, how do you make it through a traffic light? (laughs) It's not about being colorblind. (laughs) It's not about not having a racist bone. My God, I wish it was just about the bones. Let's just remove all the racist bones. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you don't have a racist bone in your body. Well, shit, I didn't know that was the solution. Just get rid of the bones. <laughs> it's just like people. people, well, people when, well, my problem, every time I hear things like that, my first thought is, well, you just admitted that you do. <laughs> you, know? you just hung a back hat on the end of the sentence. Not me. White privilege isn't real. Like all every, every time I hear that stuff, it's like you're just showing me that 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 that's what's going on. Yeah, and you got to you, you got to have you're it. showing your hand right away. Just just relax. Don't, I don't have anything to prove. Yeah, don't have anything to prove. It's okay. It's okay to learn. It's okay to just yeah. chill. Nobody's attacking you personally. Half the time, I don't know you. Like nobody's doing that. But what I have stopped doing myself, man. I I don't do the back and forth, man. Like I like. Here's let, let me tell you how wild whiteness is. And I was going to talk about this earlier, and, and then we'll talk solutions for sure. But people have to understand this stuff. So if it scatters a little bit, just, just take it. Uh, whiteness, like, I mean, you take someone like me, right? Like I am, you know, pretty highly educated, uh, you know, finished high school, finished college, uh, went to a great college, Howard University, went to a great law school, Howard University uh, School of Law. The lawyers from Howard University School of Law, uh, one of which 
was Thurgood Marshall, the reason that black kids can go to school with white kids and white kids can go to school with black kids. 1954, Brown versus Board of Education. So some of these, so, you know, this, these, um, you know, I went to those institutions, then left law school, worked at one of the largest law firms in the country, uh, worked there for a while. Some of my background before I went to law school, I worked in law enforcement for the Philadelphia Warrant Unit, used to make arrests, interview people that had been arrested, playing my role, helping in law enforcement. Before that, worked at a school for adjudicated youth, young kids uh, moving the last step before jail, trying to help these guys turn their lives around. I spent years working with these kids. I spent years working in this system. Uh, went to college, was a research assistant in law school. And I'm proud to say, if you ever take a look at the third edition of the Constitutional Book of Criminal Procedure from Foundation Press, I'm in there in the acknowledgments as one as, as one of the um, research contributors. I did a lot of research for that book. So I'm not going to sit and go back and forth with a dude in a pickup truck and I helped write a book on this shit. But that is how whiteness functions. Because you will hear those credentials and still think, okay, well, here's just comply. And you and like you'll have that conversation because what what the way whiteness functions is I can have all and, and we went through this together. How about this? We went through this together. Comedy zone, we did the charity show, remember? And the woman, I roasted her for interrupting the show, and she left and called the police. Well, you remember this, right? I do. Yeah. I do remember it. So before, very, very clearly. Yeah. And that is why, that is why you see, because this is this is about whiteness. And, and that's why there's part of me that is concerned about what's coming because people are moving and sifting past the bad apple stuff and finally getting at whiteness. Not white people. Patrice O'Neill, if you ever listen, Google Patrice O'Neill whiteness and you'll hear one of the best bits ever. I should have played it tonight. He's like, I love my white friends. I hate their whiteness. Those are two very different things, Jason. Well, you were a human being long before you were white. Matter of fact, we have more genetic similarities than you and another quote unquote white person. So this stuff is made up. To two, and it's made up for the same reason that they played those or, or they did those things with Jews in Germany. Germans doing terrible, doing bad, broke, the economy trashed, everything else. But hey, we're not Jews. It's just so they can lord over someone. So you fast forward to us at the Comedy Zone. Now that woman, I don't know what she is or what she does, but she's going to have to do a whole hell of a lot to match what the fuck I've done. That's what I do know. Right. Okay. And, but what she knows, I don't care if she just picks up sticks for a living. What she does know is she can call the police and have them put me on the ground in front of her. No matter what she is, no matter what I've earned. She knows that that's a card she can pull. This is what you saw with Amy Cooper talking to the bird watch. I give a shit about you going to Harvard. Doesn't matter. I don't think she knew that, but it wouldn't, have. it didn't matter. She knew that she could call the state to come punish him for not showing sufficient deference to her. So it doesn't matter how much education you have and stuff in the eyes of these people. And that and that's the thing I had to get over, man. I'm over people liking me. You know, like we have to just we have we talked about anti-blackness and in terms of transitioning to solutions, because we've already talked about whiteness and how it just works to exclude. And it makes people that haven't done a damn thing. Be proud because they're white. Why do you think every time you see one of these videos, number one, half the time, it's during the day where somebody should be at work 
or doing something productive. These motherfuckers are out here yelling in front of some bushes about somebody doing something random in the middle of the day. It's like, why do you even have the time? So they have the time to do that stuff. So you get these people, these big, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to insult character, physical characteristics, but we've seen these big old ugly people. Okay. A lot of them. They're clinging to their whiteness. They don't have a damn thing. Hell, Jeff Bezos has most of it. None of these people have a damn thing, but they have their whiteness. And it's something they can exercise. They love and it the goes, idea that they can call the state like that woman at the Comedy Zone. I can call and just be a white woman and have two officers come down here and handle this disrespectful person. Or not We've even talked about this before where, where it's, uh, it's, a, it's a quote, and you probably know it better than I do, but, but it's, you know, it's, when, it's when people, of, when people of, of privilege experience other people gaining equality, it feels like oppression to them. And that's what I think a lot of these these white ladies calling cops on on people and men. Let's not and, put it on and men. <laughs> I'm just saying, like some of the examples that I've seen, there's this one particular site that you can go to and get a Karen video every day, and uh, and they have stopped being funny. I mean, they're just that. When I say that, I mean they usually make it like you know, it's just some lady being obnoxious as opposed to it being a real thing, it being a real problem. Um, everyone makes the Karen joke, but it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, where, what's going on in their brains? It's, it's the life that I know, how I know it. My experience is changing now because this person, like you said, isn't showing deference to me. Here's how wild whiteness is. People cling to whiteness so much that every four years they vote against their own economic interest because the person is saying the right things about black and brown people. I've done shows in West Virginia. I know Trump's been promising them coal mines. Uh, they're not coming back. And they're still, after my show's talking to me about, <laughs> well, Obama and, uh, you know, Trump's really going to get things right. Dude, you're going to starve. The people are going to starve to death clinging to whiteness. Look at all these videos that we see, man. I'm going to, I'm thinking about starting something on this, but look at uh, how many white people are just, Getting themselves fired. Like at this point, we know if you get caught saying some bullshit on camera, look, I mean, just look at all this costing here in Charlotte. CPI security, right? Guy runs his mouth, loses a bunch of contracts, loses the Panthers contract. His whiteness, clinging to his whiteness, cratered his own economic interest just because he had to say some bullshit. These people that you see yelling at, I don't give a damn, just this white rage, this, 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 I don't even think they, they're consciously doing it. It exists in their subconscious, just this rage, just this, this, this clinging to whiteness because they know that once that is gone, what else do you have? Because if you take some of these people and you take away that whiteness, well, now you're just some undereducated, you know, whatever. And I'm not talking about people with a certain level of education, but with no other skills. You know, you just, you, you, if you take that away, man, like people don't have anything. And that's what this fight is about. That, that, that's fear. what this fight is it's, about. It's fear. it's fear. They're afraid. It's fear. It's absolutely fear, yeah. It's fear. They're, they're, they're afraid of, of losing that. So we, in this country, then, you have a history of black people dragging America towards its stated ideals, 
right? America said all this stuff in the Constitution, right? Said all this stuff, but it was all bullshit <laughs> until black people started holding America to account. And that's where you start getting amendments, the 13th Amendment, you know, abolishing slavery. That's where you get the 14th Amendment, you know, the 15th Amendment, equal protection. That's where this stuff starts happening. And then other groups benefit from it. The biggest beneficiaries of the civil rights movement and affirmative action have been white women. They've benefited more from those programs than black people have. Those programs got women into positions. I'm saying at least immediately. Yeah. And and they're using those laws, right? We're using equal protection discrimination laws that were built on the the blood of black people that gays use now. And, and don't get me wrong, there's gay black people too, but I'm just saying, right? You know, there, so there's 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 all these groups that have benefited from this stuff, but it's been on the backs of black people. And I mean, just some of these numbers, man, the way this country was founded. Do you know at the height of uh, American slavery, uh, the slave population, three million strong, uh, was worth more economically than all, all of our factories and railroads combined. It was the economic driver that turned America into a financial superpower. It was cotton. It was cotton that made America, America. And that was on the backs of black people and, and white people have the or everybody, not just white people. It's, it's what we teach. Now we're going to kind of transition into solutions. We have to teach real history. Let's start there. You know, let's give kids what this really was. People think of slavery and just think of somebody riding a horse and five people with bags in a field. No, these things functioned like corporations. You had middle management. You had program manuals. You had slaves, uh, 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 characteristics and aspects, weight, height. You know, they'd have sex with the slaves to see who had softer parts. They'd buck break the men, the stronger men. They'd force them. They'd have gay sex with them to break them. This is the kind of stuff we're talking about, man. I mean, people were just property. So actually, if you look at the modern day corporation, that's built off the slave models. Where you've got the middle management and the person that oversees this and the manual that goes out to everybody, that was started with American slavery. So it's like you have to look at this stuff. Like black people are the reason America was a financial became the financial power it did because we produced the cotton and cotton was king. So imagine how frustrating it is. To not only not be paid reparations, never you or your people be compensated for this, to walk around colleges that your ancestors built, and then to be told you're lucky you're here. If you don't like it, go home. Like, 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 come on, like, okay, you do all that shit. People can't even say, like, sorry. Like, the government can't even be like, sorry. You know, like, it don't like. Like, it's one thing to do all of that and suffer all of that, but then to turn around and have people look you in the face and act like you didn't contribute to this when you're the reason for this. It's, um, man, it's maddening, man. It's maddening. And, uh, but, but anyway, in, in terms of uh, solutions, I think one is uh, to listen. I think another is to change the way we educate. And if you want to talk about police brutality specifically, I, you know, when we see people talking about defund the police, uh, we, what we're talking about is a reorganization of priorities, you know, taking. Yeah, that might not have been the best uh, uh, in terms of marketing. Yeah. But you know what the funny thing is, though? Look at the standard, right? Trump doesn't give a shit how stuff sounds. <laughs> 
He walks around talking about the China flu, but we got to be careful about defunding. We got to, right? you know, like it's a fucking bonsai tree. But they can just say any damn thing. <laughs> uh, Muslim, uh, the uh, Mexican rapists. He can just say whatever. And we have to be very careful about whether we say defund or whether we say this. It's just a whole different fucking standard. Um. So, but anyway, the, um, the the whole defund movement, I think what we have to do in terms of solutions, we talked about the issue, and that's why I presented it first. We talked about the issue of anti-blackness. You're not going to cure that tomorrow. You're not going to cure that. I don't know how long. It's just a slow bending arc, like Martin Luther King said. Uh, you know, the arc towards justice is slow, but it, it, it's arc towards justice. Uh, we have to minimize contact with police. What I mean is, look at all the murders that we've seen, right? We saw Sandra Bland. That was a taillight. We saw Eric Gardner up in New York. That was what? Uh, loose cigarettes. cigarettes. <laughs> Selling loose cigarettes. We saw uh, even George Floyd, this brother now, what? They accuse him of passing a counterfeit $20 bill. Why are armed police officers handling taillights? This was something that that came up uh, in conversation somewhere that I overheard. It may have been from a news or whatever that sort of opened my eyes. And and it was why are why aren't these why are these not just tickets? Right. Why why is anyone who are they protecting by taking these people into custody? No one's getting hurt by any of the things we discussed. There's no immediate danger of anybody here from any of these things. So why are armed police taking these people into custody? Because if you think about it, the people who are, who are talking about, yeah, they don't want to be in custody either. I don't care if it's the cops or not. Not for selling loose cigarettes. Why are you taking me anywhere? Why? Write me a ticket. I'll see you in court. You got my information? Come, pick, you know, uh, I'll go to court. I'll see you at court. I'll pay my fine. This idea of, of police custody over some of these things doesn't make any sense. It, it, it hasn't for a long time. Now the, you know, DUIs may be a different story. You know, they become a danger. But selling the cigarettes, give the guy a ticket. Like, you know, beat it. Make him leave the, the premises, whatever it is. But this idea of, of drawing, drawing guns being so, seems to happen so quickly that, that if, if police are drawing guns that quickly, that and, and their job is that dangerous, then maybe they should support the idea of of taking some of their responsibility and giving it to somebody else so that they don't have to worry about this other stuff and they can focus on the more the more heinous crimes that they're dealing with. Yeah, look at mental illness, right? Why aren't we sending social workers to some of these calls? We have mentally ill people getting shot up. And the cops don't, don't the cops don't, going, he doesn't know the difference. He's not trained in this. The one guy was a social worker sitting next to a, a, a mental health um, mm-hmm. patient suffering from mental health. Mm-hmm. Uh, they shot the social worker. Yep. Yep. Down in Florida. And I'm like, well, how does that even, why is that happening? 
It doesn't matter that that that's just another example of like you know again I don't know the whole story so I don't also don't want to totally talk out my ass like I know the ins and outs of that whole story but the the brief article that I read on it was you know everyone was appalled by the idea of it. So that's why we um, have to I think change the nature of policing. This isn't about individual officers. I worked in law enforcement, man. Those guys were my my buddies, man. Like I had cops, we were great. Like I had great relationships with a bunch of police officers. It isn't about that. It's about the the nature of anti-blackness and in those high leverage moments, in those in the dark, when you got to make a split second decision. That's when those survival instincts come in. And unfortunately, that is when those racial biases come leaping out because your mind has to make a quick decision. And I'm glad to hear you say that because I do agree that that, that there's got to be this the, this. It seems like conveniently it goes the minute you bring cops into this, you get an entire group of the country that says, well, they hate cops now, so screw them. And everyone on the other side's going, well, no, like the system's broken and there's some bad cops, you know? Yeah. Those two things. Why can't the one brain maintain both of those ideas? And that seems to be a communication problem. That's, I think, probably it's uh, those flames are stoked by media and politics and things like that. But this idea that I can feel like there needs to be some change, uh, some change with how, how police are trained, how long they're trained, just all, all the things we're kind of getting into right now. Uh, but I can also, I can say that there's a problem and also that not every cop is bad. Like you're saying, like, I, I just, I'm not going to subscribe to that. I just won't do it. I, I like I said, I got a, a cop uh, in the family and, and friends and stuff too. So, so, you know, yeah. And, and, and we talked about, and people say, oh, well, you know, you're, you're against this country. Listen, man, there, there ain't nobody more patriotic than black people, man. Uh, you, you look back, I believe it was 1862. Uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, brought in five black leaders, uh, five black leading abolitionists, brought them into, uh, brought them in to talk. I think brought them to the White House and he made him an offer. And he said, I've got the money. Congress has authorized the money. Uh, we will give black because Lincoln. Here's the thing: people get wrong about Lincoln. Like Lincoln freed the slaves, sure, but he did not think black people were like equal to white people or worthy of some level of respect or anything else. Matter of fact, he told he blamed the Civil War on black people. He said, if it hadn't been for you guys, we wouldn't be fighting like this. And he brought they brought us over. He looked at him and told him that people that have been dying and bleeding and sweating in these fields. So. Anyway, he makes an offer and he says, we'll relocate all of you, all black people. We will send you to give you the money to relocate. We'll find a country and we'll, we'll relocate you there. And they told they came back, deliberated and told him, no. They said the bones of our fathers and mothers are in this ground. We built this country. We're not going anywhere and we're going to stay here and fight until America lives up to what it promised. Mm. Black people had the option to leave. And chose not to. Even today, somebody like me, I'm blessed enough to have the means. I could have been left. I'm here because I love this place. So you really have to stop thinking it is black people versus America. It is black people loving America and trying to make America what it purports to be. It's almost like a lot of white people 
It's like finding out there's no Santa Claus. Like these people you see talking all this shit and flying whatever kind of flags and all this stuff. These people, like, they're not, they don't love America. They love some romanticized Disney version of America. It's almost like, you know, you're meeting somebody and you go out and y'all go on a date and then you get home and, you know, if it's a woman or a dude and they taking their stuff off and it's like, damn, that's pretty hairy and this and that and they stink. Hair don't look right. Belly done flopped out. You like, you don't look nothing like you did at the club. Like. White people like love that first version, the one that's dialed up and got all the stuff on the dude with the clean suit on the perfume, the cologne, the cleaned up looking GQ ready. America, white people love that America. Black people are like, OK, once you take all the bullshit off what America really is, we over here trying to work with that. So like white people love this romanticized version where the pilgrims and the Indians sat down and shook hands and shit. That's the America they love. I love the real one. I love I love our contribution to the real one. So I'm it, white people have to stop thinking they have some sort of monopoly on patriotism. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a that's a beautiful sentiment right there. And we talked about it last week when Mike Goodwin was on the podcast. He served in our military. You know, we have to we have to reexamine how we talk about these things when they say, "Oh, well this is about southern heritage, right? The Confederate flag is about southern heritage." Well, hell, 40% of the people in the South are black. Did you ask them when you were talking about Southern heritage? Well, when we talk about slavery, I mean, those that was the attitude at the time. Did anyone ask the three million slaves? We talk about these things purely through the lens of white folks. So we have to back up. And, and that's what I think we're starting to, to do. I looked on uh, Audible because I want to do you know more reading and learn more so I can talk on these things more. And some of the top titles are like white fragility and, and some other titles you know, related to what we're talking about. So people are starting to educate themselves. And what happens when you start to educate yourself is, number one, for me, it was so critical as a black male because if you don't educate yourself and you're black in this country, you're going to walk around feeling that you're inferior because you don't know your contribution. Nobody in school told me this. They told me slavery happened. They didn't tell me that slavery made America a financial power. Slavery is the reason America sits where it does today. They didn't tell me that. They just said they rode on horses and made black people pick cotton. They didn't say that it was the economic driver for a nation. I didn't I didn't learn that stuff. So when you and, and when you whitewash history not? in that way, you don't you you feel lesser. You feel like you didn't contribute, like somebody did you a favor by civilizing you and bringing you over here. Yeah, like I, I, I look back on it and I see kind of the sympathy, which not that the sympathy shouldn't be there, but the sympathy in 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 terms of. Oh, oh, poor black people, as opposed to the stories of strength. And like you said, this contribution and this, um, you know, a, pr a proud heritage of, of black people who, who have overcome and come all this way. And we're such big contributors. And the story with, uh, uh, with Lincoln, like those stories wouldn't have made me see, see black people as, as sad characters from history. Right. As these, as, as just this, right, right. Just these. They would, 
they would be more more powerful and prominent and and yeah, I would absolutely have looked at them differently. I, we, I think completely that, differently, actually. Yeah, we have to. One of the things I did when I was in law school, me and one of my professors got a shout out, Harold McDougall, man, one of my favorite professors, super brilliant dude. We developed a program called the Civil, uh, the Boys to Men Civil Rights Initiative, and what that was is we took kids from uh, Maryland and D.C. And as an addition, an addendum to their school curriculum, we uh, did pamphlets on black history and taught them the things, some of the things that we're talking about now and prominent figures and really, really gave them a window into their contribution. And you should just see their chests come out, man. Just mm-hmm. the pride in these kids, you know, to know that, like you said, they weren't just these people that got beat on. Oh, man, it's it's a game changer. So like if schools, schools can play a big role, man, teach the real history. It is available. There's no excuse in 2020 for schools to be teaching the way and things that they do. There should be no Black History Month. There shouldn't be a need for one. Well, yeah, if you take the approach that we're talking about right now, which is like my eyes are just like wide open right now. This is really fascinating to talk about it. It it wouldn't be scary to for for white people to 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 teach this stuff because it would be positive. I'm you know what I mean. It's positive reinforcement. These aren't again. These aren't sad tales. These are while there is the horrors of it. There are also these other contributions. Like that shouldn't be something that should be even under debate. That presentation of it alone would. Putting that positive spin on on a horrible thing and on a, like you said, that contribution makes total sense to me. Why wouldn't why wouldn't we do that? Yeah, this is this is about people coming together, man. And and like we talked about before, plantation owners were scared of those white day laborers and black folks getting together. And look at the playbook, man. Look at how it always is. I mean, look at the culture wars that they wage. You know, look at Kaepernick. Look at all these things where they draw these dividing lines. Poor people arguing about somebody taking one knee. It's like, why don't we all get together and get what we deserve together? You know, shit, you ain't getting that much more than me. You just white and I'm black. All of us are getting screwed. So if we if people would just understand it ain't you versus me, it's us versus you at the top because they profit off of this nonsense. That's right. You know, and then you're just satisfied that you can call the police on me and they might shoot me. What does that do for you, really? You know, like we we have to we have we have to see past these things, man. So we have to I think we have to because we talked about anti-blackness and how much it penetrates us. So we have to until we can fix it, we got to limit contact with armed agents of the state like unless it's murder or something serious where there's a real victim but this petty drug stuff and taillights and all this shit we shouldn't be sending cops for this stuff man and guess what go take a look at camden new jersey okay because what happens is when you talk about police brutality some of this is an economic issue when they talk about defunding sometimes these places just don't have the money to pay them so so necessity becomes the mother of innovation so what does camden new jersey do well now they have it to where when officers are hired with the police department the first thing they do is go door to door and introduce themselves to the community Hmm. no gun no none of this just door to door introducing themselves to the community. So you build a face-to-face relationship. The first time I see you is not when you barking at me with a gun in my face. The first time I see you is when you stop by my home and we talked a little bit about how we can make this place safe together. 
together. Black people don't like fucking crime either. <laughs> there, there you go. So uh, we, we've, we've been at this a long time, man. And this is a conversation we're going to continue in different respects. Uh, we know this is about comedy, but one thing that comedy has always been about is putting a lens on society. Okay. And this is what is happening in society. And I just cannot sit up here and talk about rinky dink jokes when this shit is going on. Yeah. Like we have to talk about this stuff. And, um, Let's talk about it now. We can talk about that fun stuff later. This is, yeah, that stuff, will, that stuff will be there, man. This is where we are. Yeah. This We've got America's attention. Let's use it, you know? Let's just yeah. really, yeah. really use it. Yeah, always, don't, don't loosen your grip. Let's you know, don't, keep, don't keep let, it up. Don't, that, thank you. Yeah. Don't let go. Don't but listen, people. Listen to me, okay? The life of myself and my son and my wife and my coming son depend on you guys getting this right. Literally, this is a life and death issue. I told the story. I don't love talking about having a gun shoved in my face. The only time I come from an impoverished inner city full of crime. The only time I've had a gun in my face is by a police officer. Okay. So when you get into this stuff, you talk about, well, what about black on black crime? Okay. The biggest thing is number one, people kill people around where they live. There's no such thing as white on white crime, but that stuff is easy. The second thing is if I'm black and I live in the inner city, I am black. I live, you know, live in the inner city. You can move to a quote unquote safer place, right? You can move out to Ballantyne or somewhere like that. So you can move away from black on black crime, quote unquote. But guess what you can't move away from? Police. Police. Matter of fact, the nicer neighborhood you go to, the more dangerous it is because they're more likely to think you don't belong there. The whiteness gets real bright. Real bright. I can't. I can. I can escape the hood. <laughs> I can escape the quote unquote black on black shit. I can move where ain't no black people and get away from black on black crime. If that's what you want to call stuff, I can't move away from police. I can't get my son away from police. So we have to get this right. There's places that are doing some really smart things in terms of law enforcement that I hope we all take a page from. Uh, do not let go of this. Um, I think this is kind of like working out, you know, either way you're building momentum. You know, if you're going to the gym every day, you're building the muscles. And the minute you stop going, the muscles are degrading. But there's never a standstill point. Momentum is happening. And that's how these things work. We have to let go. We ha I mean, we have to hold on because the minute you let go, it doesn't just stay there. It moves backwards. So we have to keep up the fight. We have to talk about it. We have to have uncomfortable conversations. Uh, we'll talk next week. Uh, that we, we got into all this, man, and I had a medical emergency this past week. Uh, really, like kind of under doctor's orders, I really shouldn't even be like talking. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about this stuff, and I'm giving all I got to these shows because, um, number one, I care about you guys, like you you know, Brian, I mean, you guys are my friends and I want to make sure that you guys hear from me on this stuff. I won't go too much into the medical situation I had. We can talk about it next week or something like that. But the short story is I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was having a heart attack. Turned out to be something else. Uh, but in my mind, I might have been out of here. And that's what I guess happens with the condition I had. So um, it's something about a near death experience or what you thought was a near death experience that uh, really strips away the BS and it makes me come back 
and want to live in truth and um, tell, like I called people and told them I loved them, told them I was sorry for things that happened in the past. I thought about seeing my wife and my son for the last time. I lost my mother when she was 36. So I'm thinking about, you know, maybe it's my time now. A lot of dark thoughts this past week. We'll talk about it. But the thing I want to emphasize is I'm here. And, uh, I, you know, whether it's my comedy or what I do in this space, I'm going to have to live in truth, man, and, and let the chips fall where they do. Like, we can't play nice no more, man. People's people's lives are dependent on this stuff. So we're going we gonna to keep it truthful. We're going to keep it pushing forward. And Jason, man, I am um, I'm really thankful um, that I got a partner like you on this thing and um, that you're here to listen and that you're here to learn and that you're here to help. And um, because it, it, it's been a lonely feeling, man. It's a lonely feeling. I can only imagine. It's, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, man. So uh, uh, I, that, I think we've covered a lot this week. Uh, I know it was all over the place and that's okay. These issues are all over the place uh, and the passion is all over the place and there's a lot of feelings and everything else. So if you're listening, continue to have the conversations, continue to educate yourselves, continue to listen to those that have experienced these things. It is not us versus anyone. It is good people versus racism and anti-blackness. So you got to decide what side of that you're on. And the first step you can do is uh, listen to black people. Um, that's all I got, partner. Uh, how about you? Uh, man, you, you've been you've been saying it all, and I uh, I appreciate being here and and being even in a small way part of the conversation, man. So uh, I look forward to uh, talking you know talking with you more about this. Sounds good, man. Uh, for for myself, Jason Allen King, Brian Paltashevitz, we'll see y'all next week.